In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, before I get questions after service or from those who are watching on live screen, or live stream, yes, my uh, new notebook does have a picture of a skeleton uh, smoking a cigarette. Um, I went to go see uh, the Van Gogh immersive experience and saw this in the gift shop, and I mentioned to the friends that I was with, wouldn't it be funny if that's what I wrote my sermons in? Uh, and then it showed up on my desk, so uh, be careful what you say to those uh, who you love and love you. I, uh, I have never heard uh, the voice of God. I don't know what God's voice sounds like exactly, but the closest I have ever come was when I was around 19. I may have been just about to turn 19. Uh, there was a moment in my life, uh, I had known very early in my life that I was called towards uh, vocational ministry. Uh, when I was around 15 or so, I started to feel this draw towards uh, the ministry and started volunteering at my church and doing different activities that I thought would prepare me for ministry. And uh, in those last couple of years of high school, I started to think about that when I went to college, I wanted to go someplace where I would receive both a good education, but also be prepared in some way uh, for ministry. And so by the time uh, I, I turned old enough, right, to go to college, I had done my first two years at a junior college in Pensacola. Uh, by the time it came time for me to choose this location where I would go and complete my studies, I had narrowed it down to two choices. I had narrowed it down to Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, which was a small uh, liberal arts college sponsored by the Assemblies of God, which was the denomination that I was raised up in, and then Samford University, which is a Baptist institution uh, in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Now, Samford was much bigger. It was a much more traditional kind of college, and I kind of had my heart and my eyes set on that school. But when I went to Birmingham with my parents to visit the campus, that night in the hotel, I was laying there in my bed, and in the darkness, it was like so clear to me that I did not belong in the place where I was at, that I needed to go to this other school. It was maybe the only time in my life where I've looked at a decision and said, this is the only choice. And so I did that. I made that choice, and I went to school at Southeastern University. And uh, I signed up for this program called the Collegiate Master's Corps, which was a program where you would go not only study, but you would also be placed into a field education parish. And you would spend your time there in that school working in a part-time ministry capacity. And this group, uh, about 50 of us, arrived early to prepare the campus for the arrival of the rest of the students. And I remember on the day that I arrived, I was given a little gift bag, a swag bag, if you will. And inside there were these little trinkets with, uh, you know, the logo of the university plastered on it. Uh, a little cup, right? So I would have something to drink from in my dorm room. A pen for the copious notes that I would be taking in class. A notebook so that I would have somewhere to write that did not have a skeleton smoking a cigarette. And inside of that cup there was a t-shirt in a tight roll with a rubber band around it, a blue t-shirt. And I remember taking it out and removing uh, the rubber band and putting that around my wrist. You know, remember when everyone wore rubber bands? And I undid that t-shirt and held it up, and on the front side was the logo of the school, Southeastern. And on the back of the t-shirt, two words in a huge, bold font, Be Salt, period. 
be salt. At 19, I loved this. I loved this t-shirt. I wore it all the time. For me, it spoke to me about uh, that faith was not just something that you do, but it was an identity that you, that you took on. It made you a brand new person. Be salt. I loved this. It spoke to who I wanted to be and who I felt called to be in the world. And I spent two years at that university, and to my best recollection, despite that it was the university's motto, and I heard it in sermons, and I heard people say it in the hallways, it was involved in the zeitgeist, the conversation that was happening there uh, in the university, I heard it so many times, but not once do I remember anyone in practical terms explaining what that actually means. How do we be salt? It seems to me sometimes in the Christian church we run the risk of boiling things down so small that they lose their meaning. We like to turn things into slogans that we can plaster on right, our t-shirts or we can put that on, on our bumper stickers and we can say, this is who I am. We, you know, we speak in code to the people who will understand it, but it in some ways alienates other people who don't get the language. And here I am, 39, and I don't necessarily... Know that even to this point, four decades later, I have received a good explanation for what it means to be salt. I just know that it is words spoken to us by our Messiah, recorded down in sacred scripture. And I've seen it in slogans and t-shirts and bumper stickers, but what, what does it mean? I think the thing that comes immediately to mind for me as a modern person, when I think about salt, is a condiment or a spice that sits on my tabletop that I can go into almost any restaurant and find there available to me to either enhance or mask the flavor of whatever is being served to me. But salt has other purposes. And salt would have meant something different to the original audience that heard this. They would not have thought of a little item on a tabletop necessarily. Perhaps the thing that is most immediately available to us this morning, a different purpose for salt, is for roads. Just this week, we had salt put on our roads to help them be more safe and to uh, you know, do away with the ice that we had received overnight. So there, just one hint that salt has many more purposes. But in the ancient world, salt had very practical purposes. Salt was involved in the making of pottery and of soap, two things that were vital to the needs of people living at this time. But even more important than these things, salt had to do with preservation. Salt made food that was otherwise seasonal, able to be eat, eaten year around. It opened up the menu. It created a world where things weren't as scarce. And not only this, things could be harvested or killed in one location and they could be transported to another location safely without being spoiled. Suddenly, uh, foods were not tied to certain geographic locations any longer, but they were available to anyone where salt could be used to preserve and transport these items to someone else. Salt at this time was so valuable that Roman soldiers were oftentimes paid their wage in salt. And you may not know this, but the word salary that we use today derives from the word salt. Because at one point, this is how valuable salt was in the world, that it was almost like money. 
You are the salt of the world. Perhaps this changes the way that you hear and understand this passage. Because salt is not just something that has flavor, but salt is something that has great value and utility in the world. Now, light is the same way. In an age where we live where salt or where light is available to us easily, although not yesterday, as some of us gathered here in the sanctuary, unable for some reason to turn the lights on, it took us the morning. We almost had candle mass this morning. But light is so readily available to us, but for those in the ancient world, when half of the world and their time was covered by darkness, darkness meant danger. Darkness meant being attacked by a wild animal that they could not see coming. Darkness meant being at risk of being mugged or worse, killed. Darkness meant your neighbors couldn't see your house and it could be burgled at any time. Darkness made you vulnerable to the risk of everything around you that you could not see. Light shining onto something was a gift of salvation that kept you safe. So again, as the first audience to hear these words, be salt and be light, Jesus is speaking to these people about having value and utility to the world around them. And sometimes in Christian communities, we talk about sectioning ourselves off, keeping ourselves safe and holy by not, you know, getting too involved with the world. And yet Jesus' command here to be salt and to be light, invites us to think about how we can have value and utility to the world and the community around us. And perhaps as you were hearing the lectionary reading this morning, this gospel passage, perhaps halfway through you thought, well, we've probably read next Sunday's passage as well, because this whole deal about the law being abolished and fulfilled doesn't seem anything to do with this thing of light and salt. And yet, it does. Because Jesus' teaching about coming to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, tells us the importance of this law. That this law did not go away, that this law in some way still applies to us today. But how in the world is it anything like or attached to salt or light? Well, my friends, I think also sometimes we misunderstand what the law is. We think of the law as kind of a cheat code, right? That we do these things and we don't do these other things, and we stay in God's good graces. That God will simply just not punish us if we avoid these activities, but we take part in these other activities. And my friends, this is not what the law is at all. All 440-something commands in the law derive from the Ten Commandments. They are expounding upon these original ten. I'm going to give you some homework today. Go home and I want you to read the Ten Commandments. And I want you to think about how that they are structured. The first five dealing with God's relationship with mankind. And the second five, mankind's relationship with others. The law was about organizing a society in a way where people were safe. Where we didn't harm one another. Where we had right relationship. Where we did not pursue our own self-preservation at the cost of other people's lives or well-being, the law, like salt and like light, had value and utility to the community that it was given to. What does this mean? Why are we reading it? What does it call us to do? I think that this passage, perhaps more clearly than any other passage in the Scripture, gives us a direct revelation of what Jesus thought about how we should be living our lives. It is 
an explanation of our divine calling, not only as Christian people, but as human beings. Last weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, two hours a night, I sat in front of my computer and I watched the bishops' walkabouts. Like a true church nerd, I spent six hours of my weekend listening to priests who are aspiring to be bishop. And what I will say is, while the answers were good, uh, you should watch all three, but if you only have time for one, watch last Sunday's that took place at St. Thomas up on 1604. I think it was the best of the three nights. And there was a particular answer that one of the candidates gave, and then another one gave almost verbatim after not hearing each other, that I have not been able to forget. It has been ringing in my mind now for seven days. I don't even remember what the question was, but this was the answer. If the church tomorrow disappeared, poof, magically gone, no longer existed, would your neighborhood notice and would they miss you? Let me make that even more specific. If this church, not the church, if this church, if Church of Reconciliation disappeared off the corner of Starcrest and Barrington, would our neighbors, these folks who walk through our courtyard, who show up at breakfast, who walk their dogs around this area, who are living their lives and their homes, who are trying to manage from day to day, who are trying to survive, would they notice if we were gone And would they miss us? I think my immediate answer is yes, they would miss us in some way. I was here yesterday for a couple of hours, and I got to watch as a lot of people who I did not know were here for all different kinds of community meetings. And it was wonderful to see our campus engaged with other people than just the people who are here on Sunday. But I couldn't help spend the afternoon yesterday thinking about how often we walk from our cars to our sanctuary and then back to our cars without really engaging our neighborhood What would it mean for us? What would it mean for us to ask this question each time we planned a new ministry, each time we planned a formation class, each time we thought about offering a service? What would it mean for us to say, how can we do this and add value and utility to our community, to this neighborhood? So often we come to church because our own life is in disarray. We have questions about faith or existence, and we come here to get those questions answered, and then we get satisfied with that our life is okay, and we show up for worship on occasion. But what if we took the extra step just beyond this? Once our lives were organized and balanced and in a better place, not to say that we won't ever deal with trouble again, but what if once we organized our own life in that way, we took the next step to say, now what if we organized our community to be salt and to be light right here at Barrington and Starcrest. My friends, it does not get more practical than this. God is speaking to us through Scripture today and calling us to take action. Do something. Love your neighbor. What is it that they need? Not what is it that you want to give them. And so I want for us today to hear this command again. For the first time, with fresh ears and fresh eyes, that God is calling us to be salt and to be light, to have value and utility, and to be instruments of salvation to the community that lives right here and that we are embedded in. Amen.